It's important to know how to do something, but it's not nearly as important as knowing why to do something. And when you're teaching someone, you can teach someone, you know, anything, how to, how to do something, you know, grossing, the actual steps of grossing that can be taught to really anyone, but why you're doing those steps, the significance when you need to make professional um, calls and adjust your approach because of what you have in front of you, that is something that's not always taught. Welcome to the People of Pathology podcast. I'm Dennis Strink. On this podcast, we explore pathology, laboratory medicine, and forensic science. Today, we'll be talking about education. So this will include not only teaching methods, but also a philosophy of teaching. My guest is pathologist assistant Marissa Spencer. Now, Marissa is also on the faculty of the pathologist assistant program at Tulane University, and we'll talk about her path to that position. Then we'll talk about the concept of interprofessionalism and why it's so important in pathology. And we'll get into some different teaching styles and why the best way to learn something is to teach it. All right, here's Marissa Spencer. I know you studied biology and forensic science, and it seems like the plan then would would be to go to medical school. So let, let's start there and, and tell me kind of what was your uh, line of thinking, I guess, at, at the time. So it's really funny. Um, I, I wasn't ever considering healthcare necessarily when I was um, in high school. I really lo- I was passionate about forensic science, and I really wanted to be a medical examiner. Um, I loved the idea of autopsy. There was something about the human body and um, giving back to the community. I think it's whether it was giving information to loved ones who passed away, like their their families, um, or you know, providing closure on a case. Let's say something that was criminal. That really intrigued me. So originally, I was going to school of forensic science and. Um, naively didn't realize the medical examiners were doctors. <laughs> and I really had never intended on going to medical school. Um, so when I realized that uh, as a naive 18-year-old, I said, okay, well, I need to change my plan here. I, I don't really think that's the profession I want. But I was still studying forensics. And I ended up taking a forensic pathology course um, as an elective. And it was about autopsies um, specifically. And it was taught by a PA. So my first interaction with a pathologist assistant was my professor in this course. So not only did I say, oh my gosh, like this person's so knowledgeable and I'm learning so much, but I had learned about an entirely new field that I never heard of before. And I thought, okay, you know, um, forensics is definitely good, but I think, you know, even though this isn't a profession that requires medical school, having some sort of medical knowledge would be very helpful in undergrad. So that's what made me decide to be a forensic science and bio pre-med double major. Um, Because I, right then and there, after having this course, I thought, I think what I want to be is a pathologist assistant. And I don't know necessarily how I'm going to get there, but I think maybe having the silver major is going to help me. Going back to the beginning of the being interested in forensics, like, how did that start? Because (laughs) I I, just to talk to um, Alice and Jess, who they do the uh, Inside the Morgue podcast, and we were talking about the CSI effect. So I wonder, like, how did you become interested in that? Was it because of TV shows or, or was there something else? Um, so I don't want to say necessarily the the TV show aspect, but I do think the CSI effect really was prominent in that time. And what happened is at my high school, they actually had a forensic science elective course. And it was taught by one of my favorite teachers. So I took oh. it because I really was like, oh, I love learning from this, my, my high school teacher. And she was a, a science teacher. And I thought that would be fun to learn about. And then I started learning about, you know, crime scenes and 
you know, I thought, oh, that's interesting and exploring more. And that's kind of how I learned about autopsies and what that could look like. And um, it was a little bit of, I think, the CSI effect because my school had that class because of the CSI effect. But it truly kind of was a happy coincidence, I guess you could say, just because I loved this teacher. I wanted to continue to learn from her. And then I started doing a deep dive on the the Internet, um, what I could find at the time, which was not a ton. But um, and that's kind of how that took off for me. Now, you said you you were taught uh, the forensic pathology course in college by a pathologist mm-hmm. assistant. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So let, let's keep going with this, because then you, you decided this was the field for you. And tell me about how, how it went to, to actually get it to the field, the training and, and that kind of thing. So um, essentially, so is it OK if I name drop? Is that allowed? Can I say? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, the, the pathologist assistant who taught me, his name is Art Bellinger. And um, in my head, he's kind of like the godfather of autopsy because he's trained a lot of people who went on um, to either go into PA school um, or they were in PA school and he was their preceptor. But basically, he taught this course. And I remember going up to him and saying, you know, how how can I get this degree? Like, can I shadow you? Can I come and see what you're doing? I really was kind of forward with him about I think I need to see this for myself to better understand what it is that a pathologist assistant does. So he allowed me to come shadow where he worked at the time, and he was exclusively working in autopsy pathology. And at the time, I really was ignorant. I I didn't know about surgical pathology. I knew I loved autopsy. I knew he was a PA, and I thought, okay, this is totally what I want to do. So I ended up getting an internship with him. I I uh, was like, can I intern here? He said yes, and I started doing autopsies. And that I was very lucky. I got to do really everything from evisceration to you know photography to organ dissection and at the time yes i understood anatomy i understood you know this is normal and this doesn't look normal but of course i was ignorant to what pathology really was but it opened up you know my eyes to how much i could learn and know and once again i felt like giving back to people by providing diagnostic information or you know closure to families i thought okay this is the field for me applied to PA school, got in and then learned all about surgical pathology. And I thought, oh my gosh, you know, this is awesome. You know, I, I did do some shadowing in surgical pathology before PA school, but it was very minimal. And I really didn't understand it until I was a student. And I'm so fortunate that I ended up falling in love with that because, you know, if you told me 10 years ago where I'd be now, I would have said, no way, you know, autopsy is where it's at. And I still love autopsy. I still do them and they're a passion of mine, but I mean, there's so many wonderful things about being a PA that we get to do beyond autopsy pathology, um, just in anatomic pathology in general. And I feel very blessed I got to experience all of them and love all of them as much as I do. Yeah, I can relate to a, a lot of that. I mean, once I discovered surgical pathology, I thought, yeah, where where has this been hiding? This is amazing. <laughs> and I, I, get, I get to do interesting things, you know, every single day, which I don't I think a lot of people can't say. So yeah. that's, yeah, and I like that. It's funny because like I said, you know, I really, I didn't think healthcare was where I was going to end up, but now I'm so happy that I, that's where I am. Um, and truthfully, I think part of the problem with people not knowing about surgical pathology is just people not understanding pathology in general and how yeah. impactful um, it is on patient care and patient care management. Um, Cause it's not patient facing. So I never understood what pathology was until I started, you know, 
PA school, really. And now it's like my passion project to make sure everyone knows what pathology is and um, understand its significance in patient care and in the medical profession. So I feel very blessed to um, have an opportunity to have like a platform like this and talk to you today and have people hopefully hear us having conversations like this. Yes, yes, that's that's in a hundred percent the reason that I that I'm here doing this. Are you you mentioned being interested in autopsy because of the idea of giving back to the families, and I think along those lines, giving back. You you're also a teacher, and you're, right now you're a faculty member at two, at the Tulane Pathologist Assistant Program. But even before that, you were uh, adjunct professor at University of New Haven. Mm-hmm. So tell me about this uh, interest in teaching. Like when did that start? It's funny. Uh, so my mother is a high school teacher for 35 years. So teaching has kind of always been a part of my life. And I never, again, I never thought I'd be doing that either necessarily. But when I really started learning about what a pathologist assistant was and what our job meant for patient care and the lack of knowledge in that, I thought, well, I have to, I have to inform people. I need to be able to share with the world what it is that PAs do, what pathology is and the impact that they have on patient care. And I, and I thought, you know, this is such a unique profession that's very unknown. And had I not taken that class, I also wouldn't have known. So who knows where I would be right now if I didn't really have this experience with this PA. So my thought was, you know, how can I educate others that maybe are like me and they're not entirely sure what they want to do, but then once they, they find out, they're like, this is it. And they are, you know, zero to a hundred. That's what they want to do. They do everything they can to make sure that they get that degree and find their, um, their fit for a job. And I thought, I could teach an undergraduate course on anatomic pathology. So not just about the PA profession, but pathology in general and what that looks like and different members of pathology, you know, um, histotechs, pathologists, what residency looks like. And I thought that way, you know, it's not just like I'm promoting the PA profession itself, but pathology in general and maybe spark some interest in that. And so I approached the University of New Haven and I said, look, you know, I have this idea for a course that could be an elective. So I had to write a course proposal and, you know, uh, get approval for that. And that took some time. It was a little bit of a process. You know, I made all the curriculum myself from scratch, but I thought this is worth it to do this because it's going to provide people the opportunity to really learn something that they probably have no idea about. And it did, you know, I've had uh, quite a few students who went off to PA school or went to medical school with the um, hopes of becoming a pathologist one day. And I feel really proud and honored to have played a part in their journey towards pathology. It's very special. And um, honestly, the reason I approached them is because I said, you know, giving back, that's where I attended undergrad and where I had met this pathologist assistant. So, you know, I thought, let me, this is a good stepping stone. I learned so much from this university. I'd like to give back to future learners that are also um, at this university. And I was very fortunate that they said yes, and they accepted my idea. I, I love that, the idea of like influencing people to to go into the field of pathology, whether as a pathologist assistant, a, a pathologist, or any of the other lab professions. That's great. That's, that's a great idea, and I'm glad that worked out for you. Thanks. Me too. I mean, it really is just, like I said, so foreign unless you really know about it. and the only way in my personal experience now it's different because social media is so different now than it was when I was a student. Sure. Um, yeah. But, you know, 
you didn't know about this unless you were, you know, kind of like sleuthing on the internet, doing a deep dive, or you happened to meet someone who knew someone, or, you know, it wasn't just kind of a, what it is today. I think there are a lot of people in our profession who now want to share with the world what they're doing on resources like Twitter and Instagram. And that is so fantastic. I'm a huge supporter of that because promoting the profession, I think is so important to do, especially because we're behind the scenes and we're not always patient facing. But at the time that wasn't what it is now, you know, and it still isn't even, I think, as big as it could be. But I thought, you know, this is a good way to, to at least share with the world. And even if these people that took that course, I still actually teach that course, um, even though I'm at Tulane, I still on the side teach that course at UNH now f- through Zoom. So that's one good thing that I guess that came out of the pandemic was, you know, we can teach from anywhere, which is fun. Yeah. But um, I thought, you know, even if no one goes into this field, it's just an eye-opening opportunity for them to learn about something new and exciting. So the goal wasn't necessarily to, you know, influence people to, to join me, but I'm, I'm happy that it has. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That, and, and you're right about that. That is one of the good things to come out of the pandemic as well. <laughs> now, all right. So, so let's talk about then how you came to Tulane. <laughs> oh, gosh. So at the time, when I, before I decided to apply to this job, um, I was working full-time as a PA in you know, surgical pathology. I was teaching at the University of New Haven um, you know, every semester. I was also working per DM in autopsy because at my full-time um, PA job, we only were in surgical pathology. And that job was incredible. I will say like I loved that position, but I, I missed autopsy. So I was doing autopsies on the weekends. I was working full-time in surgical pathology and I was teaching at night. And wow. Yeah. So my, <laughs> my whole world basically was revolving around pathology. <laughs> okay. And I also, you know, I'm uh, uh, pretty involved with the APA as well. So I was like traveling to booths and conferences to pr- promote the profession. And basically mm-hmm. I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm young and I'm so glad and blessed that I have these opportunities and I should take advantage. But at some point, I am I going to be able to do all of these things? And, you know, am I going to experience burnout? I don't know. And Sarah, you know, we it's funny. We really weren't friends before me coming to this program. We were friendly. You know, we were collegial. We we both went to RFU um, for PA school. We both were very involved with the APA. And she had mentioned to me, you know, like, would you be interested? And I said, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not sure I really want to relocate. But she told me, you know, she knew what I was doing as far as, you know, the multiple jobs I was doing at the time. And she said, but wouldn't it be amazing to do all of those things in one job? And I thought, eh, maybe, okay, okay. Like, I see. So I'll, I'm like, let me, let me just feel it out. And I decided to come down for my interview and yes, it is a blessing that I get to do all those things in one job, but that's actually not what sold me on the position. The reason I decided, you know what, this is this is it, I've got to do it, is Sarah and I were very different in lots of ways, but the one thing that I think is very similar about us is our philosophy with teaching. And that is, it's important to know how to do something, but it's not nearly as important as knowing why to do something. And when you're teaching someone, you can teach someone, you know, anything, how to, how to do something, you know, grossing, the actual steps of grossing, that can be taught to really anyone. But why you're doing those steps, the significance, when you need to make professional um, calls and adjust your approach because of what you have in front of you, that 
is something that's not always taught. A lot of times when people teach, they just kind of say, do this, do that, call it a day. And that's not my approach. And it's not Sarah's either. And when I, you know, saw that when I came in for my interview, I said, oh my gosh, you know, this is, this is it. This is where I want to be. This is somebody who kind of feels the same way I do about approaching teaching. And I, I think I have to take the plunge and do it. And now here I am. It's been almost two years and I, I am having truly the time of my life. I feel very, very fortunate to be in this position. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And I'm glad you were able to, to get that opportunity. And of course, Sarah Garner is someone that it's hard to say no to. <laughs> you know, so. She is, she is, I mean, truly a really remarkable person, uh, really incredible. And I feel very blessed to call her a colleague and a friend. I, I really do. If there's one person who I knew <laughs> in school was going to go out and change the world of pathology, it was Sarah. And, you know, that was many years ago. And she is definitely, you know, not proving me wrong. She, she is um, really an incredible person. Yeah, for sure. All right. I want to talk about, you mentioned the uh, kind of explaining the why instead of the how. So this is like a a critical thinking approach. Like you're you're learning critical thinking and then you're learning a process rather than a specific specimen in this case. And then you can apply that approach to any other kind of specimen. Is that kind of the, the, the way of thinking? Kind of. So like, you know, a good example is I guess like a colon, for example, you know, why do we open it a certain way? Why are we taking sections, you know, from mucosa to serosa and that plane and putting tissue on edge so you can see the layers? And it has to do with, you know, staging, for example, you know, the depth of invasion through those walls is what's important for the pathologist to see. So to me, it's like I can tell anyone like how to gross a colon, but I think it's much more valuable for someone to understand I'm grossing it like this so that this can be appreciated under the scope. And I think that helps people not miss something. I definitely, and also when I'm teaching, I think I try to ask like questions rather than give um, directions sometimes. I'll be like, well, what do you think is the appropriate approach and why? And, you know, sometimes a student or a resident will tell me and I'm like, awesome. Like you've got this, you clearly get, the the meaning behind why you're sampling the specimen the way you are. And sometimes they don't, and we have a conversation about it. And I think that's much more meaningful. And it's a lot easier for them to actually take that in and learn it. It's not like memorizing steps. It's actually learning in the moment about the specimen and about the pathology and what they're trying to see. Yeah. It makes it easier to remember when you have to, that, that process of asking questions rather than just telling them, I know that has a a name and I forget what it is. Uh, but, but it, it, yeah, I think it, it's better because again, it's critical thinking for the the learner and then it makes it easier for them to remember. So, so I like that approach also. Thank you. All right. Yeah. I want to get into a specific topic. So this is something that you're passionate about and I think it sort of ties into this sort of method of teaching, but it, it's interprofessionalism. Mm-hmm. And you've written about this and you've talked about this. And But first, I want to define what you what you mean by, by interprofessionalism. And then we're going to talk about like, why is this so important? Well, to me, you know, interprofessionalism in healthcare basically is recognizing that as one patient, you know, they might only be facing one person in that moment, but that there's multiple members of that healthcare team that have to work collaboratively together for the same goal, which is giving that patient optimal care. When I think about interprofessionalism, 
in pathology specifically, you know, it's broken down between pathologists and residents and PAs and histotechs. There's a whole team of people. But even bigger than that, it's healthcare as a whole, right? A huge part of my job is working with surgeons or working with radiology, working with nurses and other, you know, clinical areas that are patient facing with the end goal of, of, of us all making sure our patient gets the care that we need. Unfortunately, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, basically we're all experts in our areas, right? You know, like I, I see the pathologist as the expert at the scope. Of course, that's what they are trained to do. PAs were experts at the gross bench. That's what we're trained to do. You know, clinicians, they're expert in whatever area of medicine they're in. So they don't necessarily understand what's happening in pathology. We're kind of like the black box of medicine. They, they put something in there, shake it up and a result comes back and they don't always necessarily understand how that result was obtained. And I, I think part of interprofessionalism is properly educating others on what's happening here so that we can reach the goal of optimal patient care. At the end of the day, we all want the same thing, uh, which is this patient to get what they need. And it's kind of like a pipeline, if you will. You know, for example, in surgery, some people might think, okay, that's the end of the process. They, they had the surgery, the tumor was removed, and that's it. But it doesn't actually end there. You know, the next step is then it coming to pathology and being accessioned correctly, grossed appropriately, proper sections being submitted, and then diagnostic information like staging or grading being given and that going back to the clinician and then management based on those results. And I think sometimes if you're not in pathology or even if you are, you forget, you kind of have tunnel vision and you're focused on what you're doing in the moment, not thinking kind of big picture, how all of these things are going to come together for the patient. So that is kind of my goal is educating people within our field specifically on how we all need to work together collaboratively and use our strengths to get optimal care, but also making sure that other members of the healthcare team beyond pathology are also doing the appropriate things for optimal patient care. Okay. So how do we do that then? I mean, I can understand educating people within our field. That seems relatively easy, I, I think, but outside of the field, how, how, do, you, how do we do that? Well, it's hard. You know, you can kind of start on like a smaller scale. Something that I've done over the years at many places that I've worked is like in-service meetings, like a morning huddle. A lot of times, you know, okay. um, for example, I, I think if you have a problem, addressing that problem appropriately helps prevent it. And the way to address it is acknowledging it and then kind of explaining why it's a problem and how it affects the patient. So, for example, um, you know, a common issue that I think people talk about is mislabeling of specimens or not enough formalin being added to specimens. So, you know, if you tell uh, someone in the OR, whoever's filling out those forms, whether it's the nurse or the, the surgeon or even, you know, like a tech of some sort, um, it's a problem. But you don't explain the impact it has on patient care. It can kind of sometimes go in one ear and out the other. So often, you know, I've had in-services where I go to kind of like a morning huddle and I say, you know, we've noticed that not enough formalin has been added to specimens lately. And you know, formalin's a fixative that preserves the integrity of the tissue. And if there's not enough of it, the tissue starts to die. It makes it very difficult for us to do, you know, things on our end that we need to do, you know, and be able to appreciate under the microscope or grossly. So, you know, them understanding what formalin does is really important. Or, for example, breast cases. You know, I had worked at a previous place where breasts were just kind of sitting out 
um, for hours without going into formalin, which is a big no-no for running special, you know, IHC tests. And I, and, you know, so we had a conversation about, about that. And the nurses, of course, they had no idea that the tests could not be valid if, you know, the cold ischemia time wasn't appropriate. So that, you know, informing them about what's happening in our end and how it affects the patient and patient management really made an impact. If I just said, you need to add formalin faster, you know, that's not going to really help anybody. You know, they might be like, okay, whatever, Marissa, you're being dramatic. (laughs) You know, they don't understand the significance of it. But if you tell them why, you're number one, making sure your patient gets what they need. But number two, you are educating them on the things that we're doing and the value we provide to patient care. Because a lot of times people don't realize, I think, especially not even necessarily in healthcare, but you know, outside of that, people think often like oncology is responsible for diagnostic information sometimes. They don't really know about pathology. So kind of explaining, you know, what we're doing on our end then affects this next step is really important. And a good way to do it is just kind of put it in perspective of patient care. Yeah, I like that. And then that goes back to the explaining the why mm-hmm. of the process also. Yeah. And and then focusing it on the patient rather than, oh, you know, this is just the way that we like it or whatever. Yeah, it does affect the patient. Every step of the entire process affects the patient. And it sometimes you're right. Sometimes people don't know that. Yeah. So I, I like that approach. That's good. Yeah. Especially, I mean, I think I like to think that anyone who's in healthcare, it's because they, they care about patient care, right? I, I don't know anyone. Yeah. I think, I mean, I mean, maybe I'm speaking blindly, but I don't know a single person who's in healthcare and their goal isn't to make sure patients are taken care of. So if you explain it in that way, they're like, oh my gosh, you know, I didn't realize that. And it's hard because I think, you know, a lot of the frustrations that, you know, people feel in pathology is, oh my gosh, why did that person do that? It's never, I think, like negligence. It's often misinformation or just like complete ignorance and not in in a mean way. It's like a naive thing. They just have never been informed. So it's very unfair to be frustrated with somebody for doing something wrong if you've never explained to them the significance and the value of what you're saying. It's not just like, this is what Marissa wants, or this is what our policy is. It's like, no, this is what's optimal for patient care. And if it's not done this way, patient care has the potential to be compromised. And I think that goes a long way. But I also recognize, you know, I can be hot-headed. And even for me, you know, I, I, I definitely practice what I preach, but I have to sometimes take a moment and center myself because people don't like to be told that they're wrong or that they could do better. So, you know, that's not necessarily what my, my goal is. If I'm saying, hey, you know, there's a, a problem and we'd like to fix it, people sometimes can be defensive about that because in their eyes, they're doing what's best for the patient. And I, you know, I, I don't disagree with them. They just don't know. So we have a nice conversation, try to be, you know, take a moment to pause and professionally speak to one another. And that goes a long way. Um, so my hope is to kind of continually do that for the rest of forever until those types of issues are, you know, minimal or, or not even existent anymore. That's a great attitude to have. It's it's a big difference from calling and going, you screwed this up, do it better, as opposed to, okay, this is not correct and here's why and here's how we can make sure this doesn't happen again. I Yeah, that's those are two di- very different conversations. And I agree, sometimes it's hard to... <laughs> Uh, you know, have that conversation, but it it's it leads to a better outcome and probably, it, yeah, just overall it's better for the patient. So that's that's a very good point to make. So I definitely want to stress that. Yeah, and personally, you know, I think 
uh, not everyone's in the position to have those conversations. But if you're in education, like a lot of PAs teach residents, you're kind of having the same conversation because even though they're in pathology, they come in, you know, quote unquote, blind. To, they don't learn grossing in medical school. So it's right. kind of the same thing where, you know, I think a lot of PAs when they're teaching, and I mean, I think I was guilty of this when I first became a PA as well. You think that this person's being negligent if they make a mistake sometimes, but that's not the case. They just truly don't know and they don't recognize the impact that a mistake potentially could make on a patient. And our job as PAs, I think, is to be patient, put yourself in that person's perspective, and then properly address why it's a problem and how it could be better and explain, you know, it's this way because of this. You know, there's more than one right way to do something, but there's definitely wrong ways as well. And kind of showing that in a calm way that really puts patient first. You know, that's my always my approach is this isn't, you know, um, the Marissa show. I'm not trying to make you a mini Marissa when I'm teaching somebody. I want them to give the best care that they can. That, you know, so my suggestions are always, you know, with that in mind. This is the People of Pathology podcast with our guest, Marissa Spencer. We'll be right back. If you're trying to understand the ever-changing world of digital pathology and image analysis, there's a new course that can help you, Pathology 101 for Tissue Image Analysis. Now, this course was created by Dr. Alexandra Zhirov, who you might remember from episode 53 of this podcast. She also writes the Digital Pathology Place blog and hosts the Digital Pathology Podcast. Pathology 101 for Tissue Image Analysis aims to bridge the gap between computer science and pathology and explains some of the complicated concepts in image analysis. You can sign up for this course by following the link in the show notes. LabVine is an interactive online learning platform where laboratory professionals learn, develop, and discover by sharing knowledge and building on each other's experience. The platform provides global access to internationally accredited laboratory-specific courses and other resources developed by lab specialists, like us, for the laboratory industry. LabVine is free to sign up, and you can use the link in the show notes to get started. Now for the rest of my conversation with Marissa Spencer on the People of Pathology podcast. Yeah, I like that you brought this up, and I want to talk about this for a while, because well, like you said, a lot of PAs teach residents and where I work, we have residents also. And I think part of, not only are we trying to teach them how to gross, or I guess to, in keeping with the conversation, why to gross the way that you gross, mm -hmm. but also I think it's important for pathology residents to learn how to build relationships with the PAs and with the histotechs and with the cytotechs and the medical laboratory scientists, everybody else in the lab. I think that's part of why they're there also because it's the whole teamwork aspect that I think you've kind of been talking about with interprofessionalism. Yeah. I mean, um, residency is like the exact career stage where the focus should be on building bridges between different members of the team, right? Because they're coming in, you know, brand new, clean slate. And they're very impressionable, I would say. A lot of people, you know, they take what they learned in their training and that's what they go out into the world and utilize. So if you write from, you know, the, the minute they step into the gross room or surge or autopsy suite or wherever you're teaching those people. And you explain kind of, again, this interprofessional approach and how we're all members of the team. And each person has a different strength that provides value to this patient's care and how you should you know, approach that, appreciate that. It really can make or break relationships between people because the reality is these residents, they graduate, they do their fellowship and then they're attendings and they likely will work with PAs. And 
depending on how their training was and their interactions were with PAs um, during the residency and fellowships, that likely will impact their relationships down the road too. You know, if I have a resident that I work with that really trusts me, they see, you know, that I am, am making a nurturing and caring environment and, you know, giving the opportunity to ask questions, recognizing it's okay to make mistakes and that, you know, we can, as long as they're not necessarily impacting patient care. And even if they are, you know, sometimes things happen. We're not, we're human. We're not perfect. That I think will instill trust in the PAs that they work with as attendings. They'll trust that those PAs, you know, they're, they know what they're doing and they can train my residents. And that is also going to go well. It's very easy as a PA to just tell someone what to do and say, okay, go do this. And because that's, you know, quick, right? It takes a lot of time to really sit there and say, okay, what do you think about this? What do you think is the right approach? And why do you think that? That can be hard, um, especially if you're in a busy place, which most PAs that are teaching are, right? You typically have a high volume, but that pays off in the long run because the reality is in the next four years, those residents, they're going to continue to learn and grow. And by, you know, their third and fourth year, if you took the time in their first and second years to really teach them, they are going to be very independent during that stage. And yeah, they'll still have questions and that's totally normal, but you know, there's the payoff there. They can comfortably teach someone else how to do something because they've been taught correctly and they understand what they need to do. Or like if you have to, you know, step out for something, they are capable of working independently and not having to call you over for, you know, every little thing because they actually understand what they're looking for rather than just kind of following a checklist, if you will, and potentially missing something. You don't have to look over their shoulders. You know, it's it's definitely a, a beneficial thing to do. It's time consuming and it can require a lot of patience, but it's really important. And then also instilling that with the other members. You know, I say all the time, you could think you took the most beautiful section in the world, but it's not going to look beautiful if you're shoving it into a cassette. You know, it's going to compromise what actually makes it to the slide. So if, you know, if you don't get it in the gross room, you're never going to get it at the scope. And that's not a reflection of your histotech's capabilities. It's a reflection of the work that you you gave them to work with sometimes. And, you know, the value of that and, you know, ensuring that you're giving quality sections so that histo can properly do their job and get the slides uh, appropriately made, kind of seeing those perspectives, I think is really important. And I try to teach that as much as I can as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Like I, I tell people that histology is a forward-looking process. So like every step affects every step that comes after it. And that's what you were just talking about. If you if your section is too big or too thick, it's not going to process well. And it doesn't matter how good of a histotech they are, they're not going to be able to cut it. So you have to keep that in mind, you know, every step after what you're doing affects every step that comes after. So I, I like that approach as well. And it, and what you said about when, when the residents, they go on to fellowship, they go on to become attendings and they remember how they were treated by the PAs that taught them. Mm-hmm. And so if, if that's a good relationship, they're going to carry that with them and probably make good relationships uh, with the PAs that they eventually work with as an attending. So Again, that's you know every every step affects every step that comes after. So I I, I like that uh, way of thinking, that sort of point of view. That's great. Thank you. You know, it's it's like I said, it, I think it's a great point of view to have, and I mean, I appreciate you also agree, but it also is a challenge too because that type of approach yeah. sometimes is a is more time consuming, 
And I'm yes. fortunate, you know, at, at where I work right now, I have, not that I have, you know, necessarily the time, all the time in the world to do that. I, I don't, but I, I think it's worth taking that time. And then I have other team members who also are willing to take that time. So it's, it's not just me, you know, Marissa's way of doing things myself and my teammates, the other, um, you know, Sarah also is like this too. So it's very easy to, um, get everyone on that page if everyone's united in that thinking. And I, I think that's another challenge when you're training or when you're talking about interprofessionalism, it's, it's hard if you have a team of people working together and not everyone sees it that way. And it's just kind of one person, you know, standing up on this pedestal saying, this is what I think we should be doing. And this is why that can be hard if not everyone necessarily agrees with it or they want to take on that mindset. Um, so that's another challenge. And I'm fortunate that, you know, that mindset is really supported here. And I can say that. And, you know, even if someone's like, oh, I don't necessarily know how I feel about that. Others will say, no, like that's a good way to approach it. And, you know, you really should think about it that way. Okay. I like that. Now you're teaching pathologist assistant students. Is there a, an element in the I don't know, in the program or maybe in a class or something that, because we know a lot of PAs will go on to teach residents. Is that somehow incorporated, like how to teach? I think so. I mean, all programs, you know, per NACLs, they have to have some sort of teaching curriculum. You know, the extent of that curriculum is dependent on the program. Um, but we, I think, truthfully, it's about practicing what you preach. So I think, you know, I say these things to our students. I talk about these things with them just as I'm talking about it with you. And then I also follow through and do it. And I think that goes a long way. And we give our students the opportunity to do things like a teaching practicum where they can also learn their style of teaching because there are different styles. There's just like there's different styles of learning and uh, allow them to kind of develop those skills. Because the reality is, even if you don't work in an academic institution, let's say you don't teach your residents at all. Um, maybe you have a PA student that you're going to be responsible for as a preceptor, or maybe you have um, a, a grossing tech that you're responsible for training, or maybe even histology, you're teaching them, you know, or asking them to please embed something a certain way because of X, Y, and Z. Um, you're constantly teaching as a PA, even if it's not in the like classroom setting or the setting you're thinking at the gross bench. We give them the opportunity to kind of see that and apply it in both the first and second year here, whether it's you know, um, doing like a teaching practicum where they give a lecture or going to a lab and providing, you know, feedback and guidance there, even like being um, like TAs and helping with like grading curriculum and things. We we want them to see kind of what this looks like and how it could apply for them in the future, whether it's in the clinical setting or in like a a university setting like how I am right now. I like that. I like that. And I feel like even if you're not sort of formally teaching anybody, it's probably still a good idea to know how to do this. Like it makes it, you know, it's pathology and there's always something new to learn. And I feel like being able to teach something is a good way to better learn something. Is that, does that make sense? Oh my gosh, absolutely. We see all the time, like, you know, mm-hmm. if when you're studying, a good thing to do is like have someone ask you the question and then out loud, try to teach it to them. And if you can, if you can explain to somebody like, you know, what to do, then you know it yourself, right? If you can teach it to someone else, then that means that you are competent in it. Um, So I think that's really important. And I try to instill that in any learner that I'm working with. And, you know, again, like you said, whether you're formally teaching somebody or you just, you're just talking about something, 
that really is a form of teaching. And the way, best way to be a teacher is to be comfortable and competent in that, that area. And um, when you're learning, if you can kind of talk it through that way, you're teaching others at the same time as you're learning, if that makes sense. Yes. Yeah, it does. Do you feel like during your time so far as an educator that your teaching methods have changed? Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. You know, uh, the things I'm talking about that don't work versus that do, it's because I've had trials and tribulations. I mean, I think when I was a new grad, I was really focused on making sure that I'm doing the best I can for the patient. And so is everyone around me. And I think I was at one point more focused on this is how to do it and not the why. And then I realized in doing that, this isn't working. Why isn't this working? And it's because they were just memorizing my my words or they weren't even memorizing it. They were just in the moment doing what I said. And I quickly realized, you know, okay, this is not how teaching should be. We've got, I've got to change something. And that's really what I started the kind of um, why approach. Because I realized, you know, at my first job, I could tell anyone how to do something, but it didn't mean they understood what they were doing or the significance, or they would miss things sometimes because it wasn't in my like step necessarily. I, I would say, oh, well, what's over here? They'd go, I, I didn't think to look at over there because we were talking about this. And I realized I was kind of giving tunnel vision and that that was me. It wasn't on the student or the resident or whoever it was I was teaching. I took responsibility for that. You know, not that anyone should be blamed or finger pointing when there's a learner or there's a mistake that's made. But I think if you are not teaching someone to really understand what they're, what should be there and what's not and why you're sampling things the way you should, you potentially are compromising care. And the reality is grossing is really important and special and kind of unique in the sense that if I don't get it at the bench, it's not going to make it to the scope. And the pathologist is not going to know that because they're trusting me to do what I need to do at the gross bench. So I, I definitely realized pretty quickly, like I need to focus more on this why concept rather than how, because that's how mistakes are made. If someone's just kind of memorizing steps rather than actually being able to apply knowledge, critical thinking. Okay. Okay. I like that. So I, I would think for someone who's maybe just starting out as an educator or, you know, you know, like me when I started <laughs> the job where I am and now I I'm, I'm, have to learn how to teach residents. So starting with this why approach is, sounds like a good basis and then kind of build on that. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Definitely. And I will say like, there are people who'd be like annoyed that they asked you a question and then you're almost asking them one back. <laughs> And, you know, I, oh, yeah. I mean, that's frustrating, right? Like, especially if they're in a rush, I think truthfully, especially with, you know, residents, a lot of residents, they're uncomfortable in the grocery room. This is so foreign to them. Um, they're already learning so much, they're having so much thrown at them. And they just kind of want to, I think, come and do their thing and leave to go focus on other areas. And I can appreciate yeah. that thought. There's a lot of pressure on them. There really is. They're mm-hmm. doing so many new things. But to me, you know, I'd rather like kind of slow them down for a second and have them take their time and not rush through and think through it, you know, and I can definitely, I know I've had, you know, I've taught many residents, so I've got the occasional eye roll coming my way. Like, you know, they just want me to tell them what to do, but to me, that's not valuable to them. I want them to leave residency knowing exactly what to do and why to do it. So that in the future, if a, if a PA comes to them as an attending pathologist, they can answer their question. They themselves are confident and what they need to see. Because, you know, there are those those cases where you have something that's really strange and I'll approach a pathologist and say, hey, you know, 
I could approach it this way or this way. What's your personal preference? What do you, what would you like to see? And if they're not comfortable with what I'm talking about, or they don't know, that's going to be a hard question for them to answer. So, yeah. you know, learning it in residency, I think is very helpful. That makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. So I know the, these are topics that you're very passionate about. <laughs> uh, so I, and before we, we wrap up, I want to make sure uh, I've given you the opportunity to say uh, anything you you might want to say that I, maybe I haven't asked you. Oh my goodness. No, you, I, I, like I said, I feel so <laughs> fortunate that I get to share, you know, any of my thoughts with you. I think it's a real honor. This is, um, you know, an important platform, I think, to talk about pathology. And like I said, I love to share my perspective and hope that others will adapt it. But I, you know, um, it's hard to do that sometimes. And I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do so today. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Yeah, these are, uh, you know, like I said, these are topics that I've kind of become passionate about myself. So I'm glad, uh, I'm glad to have you here uh, <laughs> and to talk about them. This this has been a lot of fun and and very interesting. Um, uh, Marissa Spencer, thank you very much. You're very welcome, and I'd I'd love to come back. I have I do I will say I have lots of passions in pathology. We could talk all day. So um, if we ever have another idea come up, I'd love to come back. Thank you. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great for sure. We'll, we'll do that. All right. All right. If you're looking for another episode of the People of Pathology podcast to check out after this one, here's a clip from my interview with pathologist assistant Sarah Garner. We talked a little about the Tulane program in this episode, so in this clip, Sarah tells us how she started that program. Can we talk a little bit about uh, how that program started, how it came to be? Absolutely. So when I was in PA school and when I first like came to Tulane to do the clinical site and the teaching here at Tulane, I wondered why we don't have any sites in the South. Because when I was in school, we didn't really have that many clinical rotations in the South, which is why I reached out to Tulane to see if they wanted to start a clinical site. And it just blew my mind because they didn't even know what a pathologist assistant was. And it oh, sounded wow. like, I know. And I, because they were like, what do you mean? What's that? And I, so I explained it to them and they said, wow, that's amazing. We would love to collaborate and do that. And so I started talking to other people in the South and a lot of people were just completely unaware that the profession even existed. And a lot of labs would even hire people, just kind of just random people and then train them. And they didn't have any background at all and didn't go to PA school. And they called them pathologist assistants. And I'm not saying that's bad. There's a lot of on the job trained PAs that I know and love and really respect. But the fact that sure. they didn't even know that there was school for it, that just blew my mind. And so it started with, I wanted to have a school in the South because I thought that would really help promote the profession in the South. You can hear the rest of my conversation with Sarah Garner all the way back in episode six. All right, great big thanks to Marissa Spencer. Now this one had some really good practical examples of teaching methods. Now, of course we were talking in the context of pathology residents and pathologist assistants, but I think this could apply to teaching of any kind of student. And even if you're not an educator in any way, the concept of interprofessionalism is definitely relevant in any pathology department. It promotes a healthier work environment, and as Marissa described, it is really better for the patient. Marissa was a co-author on an article that appeared in The Pathologist a couple of years ago, and they also did a virtual panel discussion on some of these same topics that we talked about today. So I'll link both of those in the show notes, as well as links to everything else that we talked about today. Oh, and if you're listening to this on release day, April 10th, don't forget that Friday of this very week, April 14th is Pathologist Assistance Day. And what a strange coincidence that I happen to have a pathologist assistant on the show this week. 
Don't forget, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at People with Path, or you can just connect with me on LinkedIn. Thanks for continuing to share the show with others. Together, let's inspire the next generation of pathologists and laboratory professionals. This show is a member of Health Podcast Network, which connects listeners with conversations and stories about health, care, and well-being. And you can find a link in the show notes to Health Podcast Network. While you're there, check out some of their other interesting podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Dennis Strank, and I'll talk to you next time on the People of Pathology podcast.